0: since since the fall, which is about discipleship and about how discipleship is about being shaped more like Jesus and, and building for God's coming kingdom. And over the last few weeks, what we've been saying even more specifically is that those things will not just happen. You can't just wish or hope that you will be shaped more like Jesus or build for God's kingdom. That it takes a remarkable amount of intentionality. And one of the biggest ways, of course, that we are shaped like Jesus and build for God's kingdom is through relationship. This is what Jesus showed to us when he came to the earth, when he died for us, when he rose for us. Was this freedom to be in relationship with Jesus Christ as well as being in relationship with others. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But then we also said that relationships don't just happen. You can't just hope for a relationship or dream of a relationship. Instead, you have to be and and others and you have to invite others into relationship. And so we talked about the importance of being intentional about invitation. And so this week we want to talk about the fact that invitation doesn't just happen. Happen, And so to do so, we're going to look this morning at um, at, gospel, at the Gospel of John chapter 4. Now, John 4 is a f- pretty familiar passage because it's the passage in which Jesus meets with the woman at the well. You may remember this there in Samaria, of course, where most Jewish people would not have wanted to have been. The, the disciples go into town in order to get food, and at that moment, a woman comes at the well during kind of noontime, so not when you normally would have wanted to go. And she, of course, did that intentionally. And she was there, and, and she began a conversation with Jesus. Jesus asked for water. She couldn't believe that Jesus would have asked her for anything. They continued this conversation, and it came out that Jesus knew that this woman had been married um, several times, was living with someone who wasn't, uh, who wasn't her husband, and But in the conversation, as it progresses, what you begin to see is that the woman begins to understand there's something different about this Jesus. She begins to understand that perhaps this is the Messiah. And then towards the end of that is where we're going to start today. Like I said, uh, we tend to usually, when it comes to John 4, focus on this conversation at the well. But I want to encourage us to also look at what happens right after that conversation which takes us to verses 27 through 42. Please hear these words. John says this just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman but no one said what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, four more months, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. And the reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we come to you on this somewhat stormy day. And we know, Lord, that you are here in our midst. And we pray that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hearts to receive your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As they were nearing the town, the disciples urged Jesus to stay at the well. They could see that he was tired and quite frankly, they didn't want him having to traipse through a city full of Samaritans in the first place. As Jews, the disciples could have thought of a thousand places they'd rather be than where they found themselves now. It reminded a lot of them of having to go to work. You know, you don't want to do it. You don't like many of the people you work with. It's everything you can do to take a step out of bed and toward the shower. But you got to make money. you got to have food. There's no other way. There's no other choice. And so you just do it. Get in and get out. That was the disciples' motto, and at least, if nothing else, they were with friends. As they made their way into town, they passed a woman carrying a water pitcher toward the well from which they had just come. Peter smirked a bit, which confirmed that everyone was thinking the same thing. You don't go to the well this time of day when the sun is at its highest and its hottest unless you don't want to be seen by anyone. In other words, only those who have something to hide, something they are ashamed of, would have been walking towards the well right then. And so they walked by, relieved that she didn't ask anything of them. Relieved that really, according to their own law, they they weren't supposed to talk to a woman of this sort anyhow. If they were honest, as they made their way towards the town, within many of them was a slight glee that they were doing something for the Messiah. Don't worry about it, they said to him. We'll do this for you. We'll do whatever it is that you want. You just stay here and be comfortable. It was relatively painless. And they were quite sure that it would make Jesus happy to see what they had done for him. It might even make him forget some of the foibles and mistakes they had made in the past. This especially was good news for Peter, who knew that he was always doing something wrong. So they went about their assignment, getting in and getting out. First there was Billy, the butcher. He was the master of Mignon, a little steep in price, but I mean it was for Jesus after all. So they muttered a quick thanks to him and then they moved on. After exchanging a couple of pleasantries with Betty the baker, they bought a baker's dozen of bagels, one for each of them. And after Philip had let it slip that he was from Bethsaida, Betty began to tell them how her daughter had actually just moved to that very town. And he could almost see the tears welling up in her eyes as she began to talk about her daughter's departure. He said a couple of quick words of encouragement. He felt like maybe he could have said more, but he knew he had to move on. I mean, Jesus was waiting for them to get back. As they bartered a bit with Chuck the cheese guy, brother James and John couldn't help but being reminded of their neighbor from back home who was the spitting image of Chuck. He had the same balding hair, just a few wisps on the tippy top of his head, and was a bit rotund, revealing he'd perhaps eaten too many of his profits. And they were about to talk to Chuck about these similarities, but... Well, they knew that they needed to keep going. They were sure there were many more important things to do. Chuck probably wouldn't have cared that he looked like a neighbor of theirs. They had duties from Jesus to tend to, and so they kept moving along. They were all looking at the sun now, realizing it was probably time to start heading back when Nathaniel spotted Vinnie the vintner. Bartholomew thought about mentioning how strange it was that the first letter of everyone's name in this town was also the first letter of their profession. Billy the butcher, Chuck the cheese guy, Vinny the vintner, but he decided he would just talk about that later. But before they left, they couldn't help but buy just a bit of wine from Vinnie. It reminded all of them of the amazing miracle that Jesus had done not long before at that wedding, turning water into wine. Vinnie was describing for them just how good the wine was he was selling. It was clear as they looked around that Vinnie must have been very successful, and yet they also couldn't help but sense that something wasn't quite right that perhaps he was thirsting for more they they thought about perhaps they could have shared this experience of the water to wine and what Jesus had meant to them but then they realized that he probably wouldn't have believed them and wouldn't have cared and so they just kept going and as they headed back on the road to Jesus they'd pass someone from time to time and they would give that gentle wave you know the wave it's polite while also making it clear that you're in a hurry you don't really want to talk to them anyways finally after having done all this work for jesus they were reaching the well where they had left him they were thrown off a bit by the fact that when they reached that well that woman that they had earlier seen, was sitting, talking to Jesus. Apparently, the Messiah had not received the motto or the memo that you don't talk to women like that in public. While they thought about saying something, they knew it could wait, especially since the woman now had already taken off back into town. Before you know it, the disciples, with great cheer, began to unfold all the food they had collected. The mignon, the bagels, the cheese, the wine. Remember, Jesus? Remember the wine? Remember when you turned the water into wine? Hey, maybe you can turn the wine back into what? No, don't do that, Jesus. But eat up, Jesus. You have to be starved by now. What do you mean you're not hungry, Jesus? How could you not have been hungry? I mean, who could have brought you something to eat, they said to Jesus. And then they began to wonder. Maybe it was that that woman. I, I bet you she. But before they could finish their thought, Jesus had continued on. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest but I tell you, look around you and see that the fields are ripe for harvesting. Jesus, the disciples thought, had clearly been out in the sun for far too long. The disciples knew. They knew that there was no harvest right now. Trust them, they would know. They'd walked all the way into town. There was no harvest. they talked to Billy and Betty and Chuck and Vinny, and there was no harvest. None of them mentioned anything about a harvest. So if you don't mind, Jesus, I mean, we don't want to bring this up, but we just did a lot of work for you, so if you could please just take some of this food and stop talking about some harvest. What in the world could he mean? But as they were continuing these thoughts, all of a sudden they noticed that Jesus was not listening to them at all. He was looking off into the distance. And as they finally turned to see what it was that Jesus was looking at, they noticed a large group of people slowly making their way towards him. And as the crowd got nearer, they noticed that That woman was leading them. And wasn't that Billy and Chuck and Vinny and Betty? And the closer that they got, the more they realized that they were recognizing people they had just seen in that very town. And they couldn't get the words out of jesus the words of jesus out of their heads look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting look around you and see now i realize That as I tell you this somewhat fictional tale. That there are many of you here who are thinking to yourselves, Jerry has clearly read far too many children's stories and seen too many veggie tales. Others of you, of course, are still combing through John 4, wondering where in the world Vinny the Vintner is. There is no Vinny. Yes, I have seen far too many veggie tales. But the reason why I thought about this story and kind of just conjuring this up based on the passage that we just read. Is because of the fact that I think far too often when it comes to the fourth chapter, we fail to move beyond the conversation of Jesus at the well. And we fail to realize this very fact that I think John desperately wants us to hear. Which is that the disciples had just been in the very same town where the woman was going to. The same town where when the woman went to the town, she came back with a group of people to hear more about Jesus. And when the disciples went into town, they came back with food. In other words... What you look for more often than not is what you will find. One of the things that we have been talking about over these last few weeks is the reality that we believe that people and that we as a church are called to cultivate relationships with one another and with Jesus. But to do so, people need to be invited into that. But oftentimes, it seems to me what this passage is revealing to us, we don't actually have the eyes to see those things. Did you hear? In fact, in the Greek, it's even more clear. In verse 35, in the strange conversation that Jesus has... With the disciples when they return, did you hear, as Dale Bruner points out, what he says? Look, lift up your eyes and see. Look, lift up your eyes and see. In other words, look, look, look. What you are looking for, you will find. And we see this remarkable contrast between the disciples who were so busy doing lots of good things for Jesus, perhaps forgetting what is most important to Jesus, which is longing to be in relationship with people. You see, what we see the woman at the well doing is what you see throughout Scripture. It is this common rhythm. Of gathering with Jesus, of relating with Jesus, of understanding Jesus, and then scattering out to tell other people, to invite other people into relationship. Isn't that what we see going on here? One of the remarkable things about this, this kind of strange detail that John includes in the story, is that when the woman leaves, John says, she left the water jar there. There's lots of theories as to why that is. Maybe it's a combination of things, but what I like to think about the fact is that she left the water jar there because she knew that she was coming back. She had already understood the rhythm Of life within the faith, which is to scatter and then to gather. To scatter and then to gather. And of course, when she scattered, she does what? She invites. What are the words that she uses to invite them to understand Jesus? Did you hear those three words? They're the same words that we talked about last week when Jesus was calling the first two disciples. Come and see. Do you see the theme? Come and see. There was this invitation to come back and to gather, and they had missed that. They had been so busy doing so many great things for Jesus that they missed the foundational part, which is that one of the greatest things that we can do is to look out and to invite others into relationship. I love this sense of this intentional Rhythm That in order to invite and in order to be in relationship, we have to focus on what we do when we scatter and when we gather. When we scatter and when we gather. It's throughout scripture and throughout the history, people have described this in different ways. Some have said it's like, it's like waves that kind of rush up on shore and then go back. There's actually a monastic community in England called the Northumbria community that's set on an island. It's an island when the tide is I got this confused at the 9 o'clock, when the tide is in. But when the tide goes out, it's connected to the mainland. So they go and they go and they do their work. And then when they know the tide is coming back in, they quickly get back and gather together. It's a part of their life. And I want to suggest that it's actually a part of our life. What I like to think about it is, is less like wave, if you will, though that's fine. And I like to think about it as like breathing. And when you scatter, you exhale. And when you gather, you inhale. And both of those things are important. I want to suggest that for a church to be alive and breathing... It has to scatter, it has to exhale, it has to invite, it has to be in relationship with, and then they gather again to celebrate, and again to be in relationship, and again to invite. This is what makes up, this is the life and the lifeline of the church. Here's what happens. If all you do is inhale, if the only thing that you think the church is is about gathering, guess what happens when you keep inhaling? Anyone want to come up here and show us? I'm no doctor, but I'm guessing at some point you will pass out. And guess what happens if all you do is scatter and exhale and you just keep blowing out? Try it right now. Just exhale, everyone. Okay, stop. I saw some of these kids about to pass out. They're turning red here. You can't do it. At some point, you pass out. And a church and a disciple who loses the the, the intention and the intentionality of saying, I have to inhale, breathe in, I have to gather, and I have to exhale, be scattered out. Because in so doing, I have opportunities to meet people who I then can invite into relationship is a church and a disciple that is dying. And oftentimes, we in the church get caught up in having so many great programs and doing so many wonderful things for Jesus. He's going to be so happy with us. That we lose sight of the very foundational, the very simple things that we have been talking about over the last several months. The very simple things of simply being in relationship and of inviting. There's this natural rhythm in which we must be a part. That The woman at the well clearly seemed to see. Meanwhile, the disciples had gotten distracted by their desire for food. Part of the reason why I feel so strongly about the fact that we need to simply remember the basics and keep going back to remembering what it means to be relational, what it means to be inviting or or invitational, what it means to breathe, to inhale, to exhale, to respire, what it means to gather and to scatter is because of the fact that I know that there are those in our community who are desperate for something more who are desperate to be in relationship and sometimes I feel like I say those things and you guys don't usually tell me this but I can always tell when you don't believe me I think that you guys don't genuinely believe that I think that there are many of us who struggle with believing it because when we look out people seem so doggone happy they always seem happier than we do I was intrigued this week. I, got, I picked up a book by uh, David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, called The Second Mountain. I, I have only read the introduction. Usually that's about how much I usually read in a book and then I move on. Okay, But I, I feel like I got the gist. What was interesting about this book is he talks about the second mountain. He says the first mountain is one for people who are really kind of ambitious, right? Uh, 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 People who really want to be successful, right? They go to good colleges and then they go and they make something of themselves. This is the the first mountain and they really want to achieve and, and, and they reach that place. Does that sound familiar? And they reach this place of achievement. He says, here's what we find. Here's what I have found as I've been talking to these people who have done great things, is that at some point they begin to wonder, wait, is this the only mountain and is there more? He says that oftentimes when people have reached that, that something happens where they begin to wonder if there isn't a deeper journey to be on. He says uh, they begin to wonder whether because they reach this place and they still feel empty... Or whether they reach that place and then there's some kind of tragedy or scare that they have. But for some reason, they all of a sudden begin to realize after having achieved the first mountain that there's actually a second mountain that is even more important. And that is a mountain that is full, he says, of meaning and purpose. And here's what else he says. These are David Brooks' words, not mine. He says, not mine, not mine. On the second mountain, you tend to be relational intimate, and relentless. At the second mountain, you tend to be relational, intimate, and relentless. In other words... We can get so caught up so easily, so many in our society, so many within the church at saying we want to achieve, but at some point they see a second mountain, and rather than focusing so much on being independent, they realize just how much they want to be interdependent, how much they actually want to be in relationship. I love, someone told me today, you probably saw this, I don't know if it was on Facebook or whatnot, Who who, who, there was this meme that said that the greatest miracle of Jesus was the fact that at the age of 30 he still had 12 friends what i want to suggest Is that in our culture, in our society, no matter what it may seem like, it seems to me we have a gift of Christ to offer when we are willing to, with intention, be scattered and gathered and to look for opportunities to invite, to be in relationship with. Maybe it was providential, I don't know, but I have to say this happens with some regularity, which is that this very week, I kid you not, this week I heard story after story that in many ways it seems would encourage or support what it is that I'm talking about. This this week I heard it from a ZPCer who um, they've moved to a new home a while back now, but they still have friends in the old neighborhood, so they invited two of them who were still neighbors over to their house. And in the middle of that conversation, as they were talking One of the things that that, that the ZPCers began to realize is that there was a sense that even though these two neighbors were friends, that they hadn't really been talking all that much together. And in fact, as the conversation continued, what was clear is that they missed that. That they were yearning for something more. That they were yearning for relationship. And that even though they were physically probably 30 feet or 60 feet away from each other, There was a disconnection. And when the ZPCers scattered, I don't know how they scattered, they sent a text or whatever, and invited them to gather, all of a sudden they created space for these two other couples to realize what they had been missing and maybe even been unaware of it. Or I received a note this week in the mail. Some people still send notes in the mail, right? You always check it for powder. I always said that, but there was no powder. This was good. And, and so you look at it, right? And, and 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 in this note, it was this great sense of transparency where, where this woman said, you know what? I, I Relationships are important, but I'll be honest with you. I have struggled with relationships. Even though I really want them, I've struggled with finding them. And, and, and even with Jesus at times to develop that relationship. And she said, I want you to know that because of things like home group, because of a particular class that she had taken, because of the fact that this is the stuff that we talk about on Sunday mornings she said this she said I have found I have found relationships like never before that I only could have dreamt of or hoped for or prayed for here's the thing though that doesn't just happen it takes a group of people who are intentional about creating space for relationships to occur Or then again this week, I got to hear the story about someone who just went through a great banquet. And and, and she began to describe the experience. She began to describe her experience with God and the reality that she grew up in the church. She knew about God. But to use her verbiage, God, she had basically put God up on a shelf, which is a great verbiage. Put God up on a shelf. But because of the great banquet experience, as she continues, she said, I was, I was able to see, and, and, and she was you know, a little emotional about this experience, all of a sudden to able to see that it is about relationship. It's not just about knowledge or knowing, it is about relationship. And do you know what? We all, in one way or another, we got to participate in that. Because we have created space within this building and committees and many of you to create space with intentionality to scatter, to invite people to come to that gathering and to feel the ex- and have an experience of Jesus Christ and relationship with others. And I want you to know that that does not just happen. And it culminates, it seems to me, to- today I was going to say tonight, but we haven't gone that far over yet. Ilya Morakovich, our youth, uh, uh, what, what's your name? Uh, I'm trying to, he's something with youth. <laughs> Director of Next Gen. And he says this, he says, you know, this is what research shows. That youth who really begin to take on the faith as their own, and who really feel connected to the church. You know what does that? It's not some kind of high powered electric youth program. It's not having, you know, the greatest next gen director of all time. I mean, we do, but it's not only about that. It's about this. 5 relationships with adults in the church. Well, that's boring. That's not what we want to hear. What we would much prefer to hear is that we're paying somebody else to help our youth to take on the faith as their own. But what we are learning, of course, is that that's not how it happens. Which means whose responsibility is it? To help make sure that our young people, like these youth inquirers, are taking the faith on as their own. Whose responsibility is it? No, it's not not rhetorical. Whose responsibility is it to help these youth to take on their faith as their own? Yeah, and I would even prefer you to say mine. Because ours is always easy because what it means really is the person next to you. That every Sunday when you come in, you have opportunity to engage with somebody young or somebody old. And that that is what brings change. That is what helps people to know that they are loved by you and by Christ. I'm going to keep the sermon going because it seems to me this is exactly what this sermon really is about, which is about seeing people take on their faith as their own. And so as a part of that, I'm going to ask Elia Marakovich, the aforementioned Uh, what was it again, Uh, Director of Next Gen Ministries, uh, to come forward and just to tell us a little bit about what our young folks, our younger folks, whatever we call them, our sixth graders uh, have been doing over the last several months. So Elia,
1: will you tell us about that? Absolutely. So our youth inquirers, our sixth graders who have decided that they want to learn about our church, potentially be baptized, if they have not already been baptized and to potentially join the church if they decide, well, if they like Jerry. So that's not, that's <laughs> what we've done is we asked Kara Crab to lead up this, this huge endeavor. And she has taken this on as only a Kara Crab could. And so what we have are these youth inquirers who have spent the last 14, 15, 16, 17 weeks. The calendars are crazy. They're all over the place. And... Learn about the basics of Scripture. They've been able to see what it's like to engage with the Bible, to engage with community. They've also learned what it looks like to follow Christ in very specific, tangible ways that they can do at home uh, and with their own friends and family. Um, These students have worked with Kara to build out these journals, which if you haven't taken a look at these journals afterwards on your way to brunch, stop by the table over there and take a look at these journals. It's, it's been a huge endeavor for these students, absolutely huge endeavor for these students, and we cannot thank Kara enough, and we cannot thank these students enough uh, for how hard everyone has worked to bring this all together and, and to get us here to this Sunday morning.
0: Thanks, Elia. And I do want to say again, I want to thank Kara. So how about we give a round of applause to Kara Craft for all the work. So there's one relationship that they have. Now there's only four more that they need with you all. Let me invite um, our five inquirers who are coming forward, two of whom are going to be baptized today, to please kind of come forward and...